people always used to say, obviously, back when I played, it was Beckham or me. Yeah. Obviously, then people say Ronaldo and people mention Roberto Carlos, but Roberto Carlos was known for that one goal, really, yeah, against yeah. France. In where the, where the guy behind the goals kind of ducks. Yeah. But I think if you look on stats, the amount of free kicks that probably Ronaldo or Beckham took over mine, mine is higher than them. But I'm not a David Beckham or Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> or English or Portuguese, an Irish lad. You're listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill. Hello and welcome to the House of Football podcast with me, Eric Lawler and co-host Damien Delaney and our special guest, Ian Hart. This is our new weekly football podcast where we'll cover all things football from the Premier League, the League of Ireland, Champions League, international football, women's football, the absolute works. Damien is obviously here because he's a wealth of experience, a former professional footballer who's played at the highest level in the Premier League. He's played for Ireland and now a very successful pundit, if somewhat divisive yeah. pundit. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm here because I used to be on a so-called Fair City and I love football. So that's my credentials explained. Uh, Damien, uh, this is our first podcast. It's great to be working with you. How are you? I'm pretty good, man. Yeah, yeah really yeah. good. Um, lovely spring day in Dublin, where else would rather be? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe Cox is you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I will tell you, Damien, is like, I just mentioned that you're a very divisive uh, uh, pundit. Yeah. Uh, can I just get, before we even start this podcast, yeah. who did you support as a child growing up? As, well, who was your football team? My football team growing up was uh, mid-90s. Yeah. So it was Newcastle United. No way. Yeah, Tino Asprea. Ah, the, the Keegan have, team. That yeah, nearly, that yeah, nearly won so, the league. Yeah, absolutely. Tino Asprea, David Ginola, um, uh, Philip Albert, Peacock. I could name that whole team. Yeah, for you. Man, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. But Tino Asprea was the one for me. I used to have, remember that maroon and blue striped Newcastle yes, shirt? Yes. Newcastle brown ale on yeah, the back yeah. with Asprea. Ah, and, um, that was a jersey. Oh, I was incredible. Like, uh, like that thing. Did he get a hat against Barcelona or something in the Champions League game? I think he, 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 he was he was amazing for it. Yeah, uh, listen, he was he was unbelievable. Yeah. Like that jersey was probably peeled off me back. I'd say, <laughs> you know, they so wore it every day. Fan, that's very interesting. Yeah. And 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 then uh, what we need to do now is uh, tell people that we do have guests every week, and we're yeah. delighted to say that the first guest on the very first podcast is the amazing Mister Ian Hart. Ian Hart, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's amazing to have you two lads who have who know what what playing for Ireland is all about. Uh, well, you had a wonderful career with Ireland, and I think the first thing we need to launch into, lads, is uh, the match last night, Ireland against France, uh, our first opening qualifier. We were beaten one nil. Um, we gave a good account of ourselves. Uh, how did you feel about the whole the whole ninety minutes, Damon? What was your feelings? Well, I, I think it was an exceptional performance. It really was against the the number one or number two ranked team in the world. I know they they got to the final and they were kick a ball away from winning it. So. We did everything that an Irish team, you'd expect of an Irish team. We defended resolutely in numbers. There was a kind of strength in numbers, a comfort with that. And then we picked and chose our moments on the break. And we managed to get to 80, 182 minutes at 1-0. And then the, the cavalry came on and, you know, we could have nicked it, you know. Um, so it was an exceptional performance. Very, very unlucky. Um, and there's a lot of positives. And so much, so much, uh, such a feel-good factor about the, the game Obviously, there's a flip side to all of that as well, or, uh, you know, a difference to it. So, um, we'll get to that. <laughs> yes, we will, we will. Ian, you were obviously, you obviously, you were obviously at the match, you saw the match. Uh, what were your feelings? Yeah, I watched the game. Um, yeah, I've been quite critical of, of Stephen, um, but I think tactically, I think he got it spot on last night, especially the game where, you know, last Wednesday they played against Latvia, they win the game quite comfortable, 25 minutes in, uh, and left Latvia back into the game, you know. Yeah. Then scored two goals, a screamer from about 30, 35 yards. It seems to be a common thing about this Irish yeah, team. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of goals are conceded outside the box. But 
And then the second one just before half time. So you would, would have been hoping the manager goes in. And I don't think that's in his DNA. You know what I mean? Um, going in there and nailing the lads. But you need a reaction, conceding two goals. And the way they came out in the second half started off quite sloppy. Within 30 seconds, they could have been down. But eventually they got the win, so you've got to take the positives. Um, but last night they were brilliant. I think um, Seamus done a fantastic job on, on Mbappe. Uh, Jason Knight, the, the grant he covered last night. Yeah. Evan Ferguson. Yeah. So yeah. that's the demands. That's that's what you expect from an Ireland team. And um, That's that's the bare minimum. Of course. that You can't rage a game just for a game against France. Yeah. You've got to keep them standards throughout the, the kind of championships. If they do that, they've got a hell of a chance. So, um, obviously, uh, Damien, you've been quite outspoken about uh, Stephen Kenny mm. in, in the past. Um, so last night, you, you, you just said there that you, you thought his tactics and the way they were, the setup mm. was, was spot on. Do you think that was just a one-off or, no. or is it something that could be implemented going so, forward? So I suppose what I would say with that is when you play against the likes of France or pot one team, England or Spain or any of them, right, your tactics are dictated to you, right? Because okay. the French are going to dominate the ball. So they force you to play a certain way. I suppose why I was a little bit disappointed, and maybe, and this is my fault. I'm not taking, I'm not blaming anyone for this. But when I saw his press press conference on Sunday morning, I thought, "Oh, we're doing something different." You know, the way he was talking about we're one of the best passing teams in Europe. You know, I don't want to die a slow death. I'm going to take the game to France. Ice like, and know, fire. Ice and fire. You know, it was a very, very. Uh, we've seen it a million times before when we play teams like Italy, Germany. Uh, in my time, I'm sure, Harky had it when they played t- the pot one teams like. Four five one counter tactic. It was just, you know, swap out Chirosio Bene and John Walters, similar types of role, Shane Long, you know what I mean? So last night was what you expect. The Irish lads were never going to throw the towel in. The Irish lads are never not going to fight, kick and scream for their country. They'll always do it, right? Mm-hmm. So you almost have to separate that game and say that was brilliant and and, and, and it's great for the fans that they get all that feel good factor and, and everyone loves it this morning. We nearly beat the or nearly got a draw against France, you know, brilliant. But I think they, those games are separate. Right, they're like one-offs. They're brilliant for the fans. They're great for us. Our bread and butter is the teams ranked in pot two with us, pot three, pot four, and pot five. Harty made a good point there. He said that like we conceded two late goals to Latvia. We need to learn lessons. I'll tell you what. Rewind to the previous game, Armenia, exact same thing. And you said maybe he went in the changing room, and you know it's not in his DNA, but like that should have been nipped in the bud against Armenia. So if I'm on the coaching staff of of the Irish team. This morning, when I wake up, I'm re-watching the Armenia and the Latvia game. How in God's name did that happen? Okay? The France game, brilliant. We, we know what happened. It's it was, a free it was super, hit, I suppose. It was a free hit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like when, when we played in the Premier League, maybe not for Harty because Leeds were competitive, but like when we played Chelsea away, you know, like, if you get anything, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Huge bonus. But you're bread and butter of the teams around <laughs> you, avoiding relegation, right? So like, there's no point in showing up and, and, and getting a, a, a valiant defeat uh, against Chelsea where you lose 1-0. And then go and lose to Norwich the following week, right? And and I think that's kind of predicament we're in. I'd much rather get the draws or results against the Norwiches that were around us and then, you know, Chelsea, good luck. As long as you don't get beat five, you know, that's not our business, right? So that was kind of my point of view with it. Um, why did that happen against Armenia? Because Stephen now thinks we're one of the best passing teams in Europe. That's a, he said that. That's yeah, he said we're, we're one of the most, we're, in Europe, we're one of the most comfortable teams in possession, he yeah. said. Yeah. So, yeah. so you do that against a pot five team. Right, Latvia, Armenia, you open the pitch up. All those teams we look at us now thinking we got a chance against these because they open the pitch up and they try to play football and they're very, very susceptible on the counter attack. It's almost like a role reverse. If you look at what France were 
against us last night. That was almost like us against Latvia, where we should be dominating the game. We should ma maintain possession. And France were incredible for 81 minutes. Even when we thought we were doing well, I still think the French were kind of going... Um, yeah, you can have the ball because we, we saw before the game the fans don't mind you having the ball they're yeah. quite happy for you to, to have it you watch all the World like, Cup we, like we saw the game against Holland yes wasn't it or yeah. Netherlands you're thinking yeah. they were like yeah they'll, they'll, the they'll let you come so far yeah. and then when you try and force that ball in they pick your pockets yeah. and bang bang they got two goals within inside what four yeah. ten minutes wasn't it yeah. so yeah they're, they're a top top team they got yeah. unbelievable players and I think probably from when I was playing the Ireland team you need leaders as well. Yeah. So you've got, obviously, the captain of the team back then, Roy Keane, probably the best leader that you could have. You had Robbie Keane, you had Damien Duff, you had Kev Gilban, Jason McAteer, good players, you know what I mean, were playing Premier League football. And led by example. And, and led by yeah. example. And obviously, we didn't care who we played against, yeah. whether we were playing against one of the top two. We knew that when, back then, it was Lansdowne Road. We were going to Lansdowne Road, we were going to smash them. Because they came and they didn't fancy it. But, but, did, but did, sorry, there just seems to be like a thing that if, if you say anything negative about the team, that like you're criticizing the whole thing. You know, last night I think it was quite fair when I said that like it was a great performance and it was brilliant and we did everything expected of an Irish team, right? I was just slightly disappointed that I thought we were getting more than just four five one. I'm not saying we should have gone there and played three four three and had a go at the French. You know what I mean? But it yeah. was very very cover up on the rope stuff, counter attack stuff. But again, that's neither here nor there. I think the France game needs to be separated. You almost need to separate what you're expecting from Ireland. So you can be critical of one section um, in, in, in the Latvia. Would you give him credit though, Damien and Ian, um, for his in-game management last night? Okay, we it was 1-0, there was only a goal in it, so we, mm. we were still in the game. Yeah. And then he made triple substitution, very yeah. attack-minded substitution, yeah. and we, we, we went and had a proper yeah. go, created a few Absolutely chances. Absolutely give him credit, and I, and I gave him a lot of credit last night. Yeah. He said he managed the game brilliantly. It's exactly how I would have set up to play against a team like France. It was just a kind of a footnote where I said, like, I thought we were getting something different. Right. So it was a because mild... Of what yeah, yeah. It, right. It, right. So that was the mild bit of disappointment. But I'm not disappointed at all. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. And the substitutions were brilliant. Everything he did was excellent in the game last night. Right. But I would worry how we set up against pop five teams, Latvia. Um, again, a lot of teams have beaten us. You know, the Azerbaijans and, you know, Luxembourg's whatever. Luxembourg's in yeah. this world. Yeah. You know? So, like... Ian, you said it as well. You've been a bit of a critic of, of Stephen Kenny. What is it about Stephen Kenny that uh, is is troubling you as 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 a, as a former player and as a, as an Irish football fan yourself? Well, I just I'm sure he's a lovely guy. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's he's managed at Dundalk. He's managed in Dublin as well, hasn't yeah. he? But I think those lads need someone to lead by example. And you know, why did the other lads? With it? I think it was Barry that walked at Chelsea. Why did John Eustace? Why did Damien Duff? Obviously, Robbie Keane. Obviously, I'm delighted to see John O'Shea there now. So I think the manager should be feeding on someone like John O'Shea, who's been and played at the highest level, Champions League, obviously winning the Premier League with Manchester United, done everything. The manager should be feeding off John. You know what right. I mean? To, to Just help for that the wealth team. of experience. Of course, yeah, to yeah. help the team. So you, if you were to, in charge of the setup, Ian, you'd, you'd make John O'Shea's assistant. His Me personally, yes, yeah, I would. Yeah, because yeah. well, Keith Andrews is there at the moment. Yeah, and I, I've got not, nothing against Keith. The greatest respect for him. He's played at football, you know, in, in the Premier League and Championship level, but John O'Shea is a different level altogether when you're with a Of course, which experience. is I'm delighted to see someone like John in. But why have them other people that were involved left? That's the worrying thing for me. Obviously, we don't get to find out what goes on. But for me, on the outside, probably looking in, I'm thinking, he doesn't like confrontation. Yeah. He doesn't like some of the challenge. And that's what you need. You need a good <coughs> cop, bad cop. So someone to, so if the manager's going to be nice or whatever, you need someone to nail you as well. Come yeah. in and say, right, lads, that's not good enough. I can't imagine he would allow that to happen in a dressing room. 
Well, I, I, I think it's interesting as well, like with the, the likes of Barry and Eustace, when you hire career orientated people, right? As soon as they get better off, they're gone. Yeah. You understand that? Like, yeah. so if you're hiring people, you need to hire them that if I hire you tomorrow, Harty, you're with me, you and me in the trenches and you're my guy. Yeah. If I go and hire a career person, you have to expect that as soon as someone turns their head, they're gone. And it was Belgium who came. And he from, went to Belgium it? and Eustace got a job in the UK. So there's nothing wrong with hiring these people, but you can't hang your hat on them because yeah. they're just climbing the ladder and they're using you as a rung. Now, if you can get something out of them while they're climbing the ladder, brilliant. And I think Stephen got something out of Anthony Barry, by all accounts, he's an exceptional coach. But, like, you can't hang your hat on them because they're going to be gone the first yeah. time, they, first offer they get. So that's probably why those guys moved on. They got better offers. Mm. But stop hiring career people. Hire people that are in with you. They're, you know what I mean? That Regardless, that if a Belgian come calling, loyal to Stephen, because Stephen's my guy. He hired me. He gave me my chance. Yeah. Now, if I can work both jobs, great. Or if I can work a club job with my international, like John O'Shea is doing, no, we've got no issue with that. John's with Stoke, is it? Is John's it Stoke? with Stoke, yeah. yeah. But stop hiring career people if, well, if that's it, but, what you're worried about. But John about. has played for his country. Yeah. You know, he's passionate. He loves his country. So um, I think it's important. And I'm delighted to see him involved. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, it's a step in the right direction. Of course, kind of yeah, thing, Bringing people in like mm. that. Um, do you think Stephen Kenny, as a man, um, is probably... He's not the type of manager who will absolutely rip the balls out of his team at half time if they're not doing their jobs or is he I don't is, think I don't think he's that guy. I don't no. think he's the one that comes well, in. Well in, in every interview that I've seen, I've never seen him like be critical of his team and yeah. say, you know what, we were sloppy there, we need to be much better. Actually, he, he always after the Latvia game, he dropped in a word complacent and he caught himself and he went, you know, you know, maybe a bit of complacency. No, no, that's not the right word. And he reworded it. So that's what I'm saying to how much he doesn't let negative you know, he probably didn't want to say my players got complacent because he offended them. That if the players watched it afterwards, they might go, no, we didn't get complacent. So he reworded it. Now, whether it's for himself or whether it's for his players, I don't know. But it, you know. So there you go. So when the, with the players, he's obviously, um, he's saying stuff like, okay, Ferguson was, was the, Alex Ferguson was the master of the mind games when he mm. went to the media. Even when United were absolutely shy, mm. he would still, he wouldn't, he would never publicly admonish them yeah. Do you know what I mean? He, he'd do behind closed doors, of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but he wouldn't say it on the TV. Yeah. And, and I wonder, is you know, could is is Kenny not liking a Stephen Kenny to Alex Ferguson by any means? Okay, but is there the an same element? tactic? Is what you're saying the same? The same. Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. well, well, yes, but then like Alex Ferguson would say thing when the media, and then on Monday two players would be sacked. Okay, you know what I mean? Right, so right, like right, he right. was saying one thing, but completely doing another. But Hardy's original point was was, was stands up. It happened against Armenia and happened again against Latvia. That's what I'm going home with now on the coaching staff, and I'm going. Why has this happened? How did that happen? What changed? Did we do something as a coaching staff? You know, I remember after the Armenia game, Stephen gave an interview and he said something along the lines of like, you know, we were great, we were 2-0 up. And, and I just, you know, I saw Nathan Collins was joining in and the centre-backs were, you know, and it all got a bit, a bit easy for us, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So then he's a coaching staff, I to look at that and go, I'm on the sideline and I saw it happening. So I need to nip that in the bud very, very quickly. You know, I need to go, Nathan, you know, it's still only 2-0. You know, if it's 4-5, then maybe, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, it's only 2. Well, initially, when that ball got flipped over the top and we're saying if Mbappe had been on that, remember the strike when didn't he plays yeah. it? I think if that had been yeah. Mbappe, he's in, bang, and it's yeah. finished. And that was a kind of a wake-up call. And then from and that... Bit sloppy, wasn't it? Mm. Dotted, trying but, to but, flick around the corner, the intercept, and the guy sticks no, a screaming. But at no point against France did we leave any of those no. spaces behind or along yeah. the sides of us because it was a flat back five. Mm -hmm. right? It was like and counter attack. We it played. was a flat midfield four. There was no, like, Seamus done great. He done brilliant. And you'll understand this as a fullback. He had a lot of cover that he was able to go tight with Mbappe. Right. The worst thing is if you're on your own with Mbappe and you go tight with him, 
and you're kind of caught in open space, you're looking going, oh my God, if he turns and runs, I'm in trouble. Or he can go inside. But every time Seamus went tight with him, he knew. If I get beat, I got Nate Nolan He had protection behind. I got Malumi and Cullen Cullen inside me, and I got Chidozzi right here. Yeah. So I can go tight knowing that if he does slip me, I've got help over the top. I'm not, like, lessening or dismissing what Seamus did. He did an incredible job. And it was a great setup by the manager. He's a lot of credit for that, for yeah. that way he set up and dealt with Mbappe. Well, I'm glad and you give him a little bit of credit. I give him a lot of credit. No, man. Come on, I, I do give him a lot of credit. Yeah. It's just that, like, you know, it, it, just, it just seems to be a culture that you can't see anything bad right. about this Ireland right. team. You can't, not even bad. You can't see anything going, oh, I'm interested in that. Yeah. But, like, last night, I felt I gave an incredible amount of credit, an awful lot of credit, but I also had some reservations and mm-hmm. I just voiced those as well. But people just seem to hear anything negative, and that's it. They're <laughs> yeah, off, yeah, 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 um, yeah. Yeah, going, going back on where you're saying Stephen Kenny, Sir Alex. Sir Alex was the manager, but Sir Alex let Roy control the dressing room. Right. And Roy demanded each day in training, lead by example, what you're going to So you had Nicky Butt, you had Scholes, you had Neville's, the Beckhams, like proper, proper leaders. And, you know, the and he things, set the town to standards. He set the town to standards. Yeah. Day and if you day dropped, out. you were getting it. For the young lads as well, he was quite critical of. John, when he was coming through, and yeah. I think Fletcher, because there's certain standards at Manchester United, and we want to be the best. Um, so you, you mentioned there Roy Keane, okay, as a, as a leader. You obviously played with him um, and were managed by him as yeah. well. Um, when you when you played under him as a manager, did you notice a difference in him, or was he just the same Roy Keane? No, completely different. Was he really? Yeah. yeah. In what way? Well, I think naturally you change from being a player to being a manager, and um, yeah, it was a. I was playing in Spain at the time, Levante. I moved back, went to Sunderland, so there was Dwight York and, and <laughs> Andy Cole. So it was completely different. I, I went in there, I was only there for a year. Um, I didn't play too many games. I think the majority of games that I played, they ended up playing at right back. But I've got the utmost uh, respect for Roy. You know, you got on with him? Oh, yeah, to be yeah. honest. Like, he, he's, a, he's a great guy. There's many times where we used to be in the Ireland team and lads had all clear off uh, up to rooms after, after tea. And myself, Robbie, and Roy'd sit and talk for like two hours, wow. two and a half hours, having a chat, talking about everything. Because you know, the, the media would like to paint the picture that he was this kind of isolated figure. You know, this this madman. Everyone was afraid to approach him. That he didn't have any friends and all this kind of stuff. Nah, of course he did. <laughs> like I think all the lads respected him for what he's achieved yeah. within the game. But you know, he demanded it in training. Whether he turned up at the Ireland team, whether he was in the rondos or whatever, yeah, he wanted the quality. So if you if you obviously constantly in there, he's like, well, you're a Premier League player. Come on, the certain standards, and um, yeah, he, he was brilliant. So I think his reputation precedes himself. I did, uh, I did, a, I do stand up comedy, lads. By the way, sorry, sorry to hear that. I'll tell you a few jokes afterwards. I'll <laughs> charge you a fiver each. But um, I, I was doing a gig at the Irish Soccer Writer Awards a few years ago, and Roy and Martin were the were, the, were in charge of the Irish team, so they yeah. were there. It was a big black tie event, so I went on stage, and Roy Keane was my hero, my idol, you know. And I walk up on stage, and before he started the gig, I went, so I have everyone's attention here. Before he started the gig, uh, can I just say to Roy Kane, Roy, can me and you have a selfie after this? And I knew what his answer would be. And he just went, no. The whole place exploded laughing. And I went, great, I'm off and running. So he was doing the gig, I did 20, 25 minutes, and I kept glancing down, and he was laughing. And I heard it was something like, God, I'm making Roy Kane laugh here. This is amazing. And, and, and the gig is over, and I'm walking past him. And he leans back in his chair, and he grabs me, and he goes, that was very funny. I really enjoyed that. He says, of course you can have a selfie, but let's go outside in the lobby because if we do it here, everyone will be asking for one. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and he stuck to his word. And, uh, yeah. and, and that was a side I never thought I'd see of yeah. Roy Keane, you know, because yeah. I was uh, absolutely 
trembling in his presence kind of thing, intimidated by the man. Anyway, we're neither here nor there. Um, so, any more, like, so, so you, sh- you said there, uh, Damien, that um, we won't be judged on the games we play against France. We'd be judged against the games we play in, in the group. Yeah. Our next game is yeah. the middle of June yeah. in Athens yeah. against Greece, yeah. who are, you know, I don't know whether they're, uh, they're uh, of similar level or probably a better level than what we are. And then we've got Gibraltar afterwards. Mm. Um, do you have, what would you like to see now going into that game? I think everything we've been promised, you know, re- retaining possession, um, creating chances um, and scoring goals, like, you know, the the the, the things that Stephen has had time to do. Three years in the job now, Nyan, just short of three yeah. years, I think. So, you know, he's had a playoff that he was handed by, by Mick, you know, for the... For the, the, the I don't think he was handed by Mick. I think he, the FAI took it out of Mick's control. Yeah, OK. Mick, <laughs> should, Mick should have been left. <laughs> well, well, yeah, OK, maybe we won't choice the words But then he had a full Nations League, a full qualifying campaign, a full Nations League. So all the ideas he's been talking about, all the ideas that he's been implementing, most managers don't get that amount of time, especially in a national team job. The country have been incredibly patient with him. They've given him all the leeway to put in place things he wants to put in place. But in my my personal opinion, it's 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 time to deliver now. You know, yeah. the day of judgment is in June, and I think minimum minimum for Stephen Kenny in this group is to finish third. You have to finish third ahead of Greece, and if you're going to finish third ahead of Greece, you got to go to Greece and get a result, and then beat them back in Dublin. Yeah, right. So you have to go there and and, and get a result. So you need to get four out of six against Greece. Hundred percent minimum. And then you might get lucky. You might get Holland on a bad night in Dublin. You might get Holland on a bad night in in, in Amsterdam, and then obviously you get six points off Gibraltar. That's it. Nobody that, ever had a bad is... night in Amsterdam now, Damien, in fairness. Well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that is where we're setting the bar, you know, and I don't think that's harsh. I think he's had all the time to put in place, blooding young fellas, getting experience, building the team, getting his philosophy across to them. That's it. It's put up or shut up time now. It's, it's, it's not more excuses now. Exactly. The, yeah, you, you know. you, you're, you're based on results and obviously, the, I don't know the stats, but the amount of games that they've they've won very, it's a very low return in competitive uh, matches that he's won for, for sure. But um, to 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 play here's, the, here's, here's one. I just had a thought, right? And, and, and we touched on this last night. The, the the level of friendly games we've been picking, right? Recently, Andorra, Malta. I know Qatar were in our group. Liechtenstein were they friendly, right? Yeah. You're choosing to play these games, right? No, if you're a cynic, which I'm not, you could say it's stat padding. You know what I mean? Trying to get wins on the board and goals and stuff like that. Or you want to test out your new system against pot five teams. That's okay. We need to start picking better quality of opposition now. You know, in, so in terms of... The team is going to get better, isn't it? The only way you're going to get better. You're going to learn nothing playing against uh, a Latvia. But there's fewer windows now for international football to do that. Friendlies, isn't it? Because we have the Nations just, League I just now. That's why that was five friendlies we chose there. We, we went to Andorra yeah. in June. Who chooses to play Andorra away in June? Was it June? And by the way, we were 1-0 down after 60 minutes. So we end up winning 4-1. Yeah. Right? But, like, have, have any Ireland team ever chosen to go and play Andorra away? Have we ever chosen to play Malta? You know, the highest calibre of friendly we've picked in the last five or six has been Norway. And I think that that is interesting. Yeah. In terms of, like, you know, if we're going to start playing a better brand of football, we need to start implementing it a better quality of opposition. And again, that's just a footnote, a little side point. I still think it was a great performance last night. Why are we going to Greece in June? <laughs> Can the go. FAI not like say, hold on a minute, right in the middle of the, the summertime there, they're going to be used to the heat. We're not. For well, me, well, I look at the, the people that put on their suits and jackets that right. used to sit on the front of the plane yeah. and Roy changed that philosophy where the players used to sit in the back, obviously squash seats and the big wigs sat at the front. Roy went in, changed their mentality 
got them all at the back. They're just torn up for these games. Nice week away in Turkey, a week away in Greece, a bit of sun. Mm. They should be questioning that. You know what I mean? Say, well, isn't it like in those negotiations for fixtures? Isn't there a bit of give and take as well? Like, so I mean, you, you look at the fixture list and, and you go, well, before we even play Holland, we will have played France twice. Is there some element of you know card playing there kind of game? And we have to accept, okay, we're playing Greece away in June. But on the plus side, we've got the French out of the way. And the rest of the group to target I would say them. that I don't know. Like I, I don't think there's any actual framework that like. You, but I think you can argue those fixtures. I think you can. You know, mm-hmm. you, you'll never see the French or the Dutch going to Greece in June, right? So that probably tells <laughs> well, you. Well, especially after a season, after, and when a, it's finished, and there's a six week six week yeah. break, right? And so, they're probably better climbed twice to the heat than we are. Right. As well. And by the way, and like I said, yeah, our bread and butter is Greece. Yeah. So that's the game, and if we want to finish third, you should have said, you know what, we'll go play Holland. And France twice, and then we'll, you know, if our bread and butter is Greece, you know, Gibraltar should take care of itself. France will be what it will be. We need to finish ahead of Greece. So that's the fixture that needs to be prioritised. That's your trophy away to Greece. Get a draw, beat them back in Dublin, we finish third. Right? So why then accept 39, 40 degrees in the middle of June? Yeah. And, 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 and no, was- I'm sure there's people out there will argue we've no say in it. Right? Yeah. And probably there's no legal framework to argue it, and you have to give you the fixtures, and that's it. But you never see the big lads going there, do you? No, true, true. Uh, just playing devil's advocate here, lads, okay? Uh, about Stephen Kenny, and uh, I suppose I am here to represent the Barstool man out there, the Irish football fan, and uh, I suppose what, I, what, what I've what i enjoyed about the Stephen Kenny reign is this insistence on playing football. And I totally get the results thing, I really do, and I know he's had three years and all that, but... You know, he when he came into the start, he, he said what he was going to try and change was the whole culture of Irish football <coughs> to become a team that is comfortable in possession, the, a passing team, if you will. And I think, in fairness, we've seen that quite a lot. I think we do play better football than we have done in a long time. Um, still not getting the results, which is obviously key. But do you not think that, right, it's a culture, it's a culture change he's trying to implement, and that will take time. Um, he didn't get off to the best start. He was, you know, he was hampered with COVID and all that. And like that, you mentioned that Slovakia playoff game. Wasn't there two lads ruled out with a false negative COVID test? That was a bit of bad luck. We lost on penalties in the end. But I just think, I think he's, I think he's, I think he deserves a little bit more time. And I totally agree that he should three get years. at least three, three years. Yeah, but I think he's how got long? A, how long would you give him? Five? Well, no, I would definitely, I would definitely look at this group, this qualification. Okay. And if we have finished toward, at least toward, then he definitely has deserved earned the right to a new contract for the World Cup qualifying campaign. Would you agree in any way? I, I would say that by the skin of his teeth, yes, third to Greece would be probably you'd probably keep him in there a little bit longer. Yeah. Um but I mean I, I suppose from from an Irish football fan's perspective, Damien, I'm I I've always followed Ireland, love Ireland, go to all the matches and all that, and I love love supporting the team and all that. But there's been so many times over the years, even when we've qualified for tournaments, and we all want to qualify for tournaments, it's great. But the football has been torture. Right. So, so here's one for you, right? So here's one for you, right? While Stephen is developing the team in the passing style, right? We could quite comfortably slip from pot two to pot three, to pot four, right? If mm-hmm. you want to give him time, even though the results aren't great. It's a long way back then. Once you get lumped in a pot four team, it's a long way yeah, back because yeah. you're now getting drawn in, in in groups where like you know France, Holland, um, and he left himself open to that by mm-hmm. by by the results. You know you're always susceptible so you're to that. Seed or whatever, where you yeah. look at like a Serbia, you know they're right up there and they're a second seed, so they're obviously giving themselves a better chance of qualifying. You cannot you cannot prioritize one. There's, there's performance, right? There's uh, results, right? You cannot prioritize one over the other. Both are equally as important. Right, you cannot just discard results and say only worry about performance. Right, 
If you want to do that, go manage youth team football and develop players because that's what that youth team football is about, right? Develop players, results, yeah, they're important. They're not really important. I need to develop players to go on and have a career, right? He isn't senior men's international manager. You don't get to, like... You're based on results. Both, I think, are In the Premier League, Championship League results. 1. If you're not getting results, you are gone. Right. Of course it is. But I think Steve, well, the point you're making there is, is, is Stephen's trying to have a culture change, right? And absolutely, performance and the way we approach games has to be up there. But you can't just write off results. You can't just go, you know, halfway through the last campaign, he went, well, I'm building for Germany 2026. And I'm like, well, hang on a second. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You can't just gloss over. You can't just write it off. So I'm not saying it's, like, I'm not, you, you, you seem to think I have the argument that, like, it's results only and, and it's Trapatoni. So let's go back to that. Because Trapattoni was prioritising results over anything else. He didn't care. But that was his remit. That's why he got the job. He was given the job because he said, I'll get to major championships. And don't care how we get there. Job is yours. Stephen prioritised something else. But while he's working away at what you're talking about, changing the culture, you cannot discard results. You just cannot do it. And I think that I think the, the light has been taken off that and too much light has been placed on performances. At some point, and we're three years in now. By the way, he's not in the job a year. Where we're like coming after him. And by the way, I didn't come out. I didn't come after him, but like I wasn't critical of him yeah. for the first eighteen months. You I was actually for him, and I actually said I was one of Stephen's biggest fans to get him in mm. the job. But I'm not wedded to Stephen Kenny, yeah. Yeah. right? He deserved a chance at the job, and he needs to start delivering. And I feel he's had more than enough time for it. And at some point, he needs to start getting results for this country. It so, just it comes down to personnel. Obviously, you want to play this nice, expansive kind of football but if you don't you have need, you need lads that are going to be brave on the ball so obviously centre half able to step out like the French were able to step into the midfield play them nice range of passes like the, the last night you say it was the, the banks wasn't it, it was two mm. bank break us down mm. obviously Ireland were trying to counter attack obviously one sloppy pass they score from but yeah, yeah it, gives a run, it gives a run down the results that you add right because you play for Ireland for an incredible amount of time superb stuff like you went up against Holland and beat them oh, in, yeah. in, in Lansdowne Road. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's kind of the the, the the rewriting of Irish football. Like, I think for people like him who played against Well, I think teams, when, when I played, I'm sure Ireland were in the top 10. Yeah. Now we're, what, 47th or 8th, I think. 47th or 8th. So it's, it's we've dropped right it's a problem, Grace, Why? sure, yeah. What's, what's the reasons behind that? I remember talking to Richard Dunn before about this, and, and Dunn said to me, he goes, um, they went to Holland at some point and passed them off the park. We did, yeah. I played one. Did game. you blame that game? We were, we right? It was 2-2, two, two, yeah. uh, and we were winning, I'm sure we were winning 2-0. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, like, Rich goes to me, he goes, like, Jesus, we, did. Like, we went there, and he goes, look we at the game, we absolutely destroyed him. So what I'm saying to you is, like, it's the, like, Stephen has set the bar, right, at the end of... So the bar for him for success has been set at the end of Martin O'Neill's reign, the end of Mick's reign, which the bar is really low, right? right? And anything after that, of course, Stephen is doing good. But you're, I feel he's disregarding an awful lot of... Like, I went, I, I was in a, a squad that went to Italy and uh, got 1-1 draw against Italy. I think they were close to being world champions at the time in Barry. That's right, yeah. Right? I remember John O'Shea scoring out in Germany. I remember Shane Long scoring yeah. in, in thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, we got, got results these results. results. Well. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? We, yeah. And we played some good football. Like, of course, a lot of what uh, Trapattoni did, he'd be judged on that European campaign when he got in that group of death, and we were absolutely hosed. And that's grand. But I remember playing in games against Northern Ireland, and we won four nil. Played some unbelievable stuff. Yeah, we playing against Georgia. Played some great stuff. Really good football. So I just think it's just the re rewriting a little bit of Irish football history. People even, like even going back to say Jack. 
people say well, the football and the jack Jack got results. Yeah, isn't it? He got results. Nick I, I, got results. And I, I suppose because I think Jack was Jack was brilliant. Obviously, a national treasure, um, and he got us to our first World Cup and first year, yeah. our first major tournaments. Yeah, um, and there was so much goodwill towards him. And at that point, I don't think it, it mattered to the Irish football fan what yeah. style of football we were playing because we were getting results. Mm, yeah. Um, but now I just think, like, I suppose when we look at other countries, right? The likes of, you know, when you look at other countries with similar populations, the likes of Croatia, the likes of Denmark, the likes of Norway, and we're like, you're like these are these lads are playing good football, producing good young players. Why aren't we able to do the same? Well, now you're going into a different sphere of producing players, and that's a whole other like discussion in terms of you know how how we're developing players and the academy systems here and why we were. Uh, off selling that to the UK for years, and now that market has been taken away for us. So, how are we going to produce young players? That's a completely different. Um, we'll cover that in the next couple of podcasts. Well, that's, that's, a, that, that's a big yeah. conversation. Like, well, I know Bows. Bows have gone full time this season, and they've got an academy which is producing a lot of players going over to, to, to England at the moment. I mean, Evan Ferguson, of course, is the biggest one of all. Like, and yeah, Bows haven't been a chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I mention I was a Bows fan? Did I? <laughs> We're getting that vibe off here. <laughs> right? I actually saw you playing at Daily Mount one time. Did you? Yeah. Oh, you I forgot about that. I never you are playing for Cork City and uh, one, of the, one of the greatest yeah, own a, goals I've ever I seen. I made a career of having a short memory. <laughs> Damien, explain your thought process for that goal. Which, sorry, Ian. So Ian, Ian doesn't know. Uh, I went, uh, when Damien uh, moved back to Ireland, he, he signed for his hometown club, Cork City, and Cork were you know, flying big team, really successful. Right. <laughs> right. They were playing balls in Daily Mount and... <laughs> Damien gets the ball out on the wing and he's being closed down looks across sees the goalkeeper plays it across the box and it goes into the corner of the goal it was a brilliant one of the best own goals I've ever you know seen you know when everyone's in the full back area and you're, you're playing to the goalkeeper but he's come out at a given an angle and I've rolled it and it just caught a slope and just ran in at the far post it was it was comical like you know what I mean but what can you do these things happen in life you know what I mean yes. do you, know? you ever score an own goal yourself here? I don't think so. No, I don't think have so. Have you not? Wow, as so. a defender, that's very unusual. I'm mean, oh, maybe I've nearly as out. many own goals as <laughs> I do actual goals. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think I did, yeah. Maybe possibly you must have done. Surely. Stuff, yeah. You must but, have done. Jeez, there's no way you went. Yeah, the ball's going in the box, yeah. and you're trying to get a head on it. Yeah. So see, short memories. That's selective memories. All right, Ian. We want to talk to you about your your career as 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 a Premier League footballer, playing in La Liga and Irish international. You, you were an 18-year-old when you made your, your debut for the, for the Irish team in the, uh, in, in the U.S. Cup or something. It was a U.S. trip or something like that, was it? Uh, well, we, we did have a trip over one night. We played against uh, Mexico and that. Yeah. yeah so. And yeah. what was that like as an 18-year-old going into that environment? Like, it was an end-of-season trip, I believe, wasn't it? So yeah. It, it, was it like, you know, um, uh, and who was, it, who was the manager at the time? It was Mick. It was Mick, right. Yeah. So he brought you in. And what was the culture like? In the, was it like, was it viewed as right... Uh, a bit of a holiday, a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, a piss well, up. Obviously, or... I think the rules. I was only eighteen. You can't drink in America. Oh until... Jesus! Yeah, of course. So, yeah. Wow. So now it was brilliant. Obviously, great experience to travel over there. I scored against Mexico. I'm sure I scored against Mexico at the Giant Stadium as well. Wow. So, yeah, of course. But I moved to England when I was um, obviously 15 to Leeds as a striker and got pushed forward and forward or back. So I played obviously left wing, centre half, and then decided at left back because you... of my blistering pace. You. <laughs> You went as a striker? As a striker, yeah. Who did you play for Andrade? I didn't. I played for Kevin's. Oh, Kevin's. Kevin's. Ah, yeah. right. They, they, yeah, they'd they be big, big alliance with Bowes, uh, yeah. Damien. Don't know if you know about that. But 
anyway, uh, when I was beat, probably the most, like a swearing. <laughs> I suppose um, one of the biggest uh, uh, moments of your life, uh, Ian, would have been uh, playing for Ireland at the, the World Cup in, uh, oh, in two thousand. Yeah, well, for any lad, you know, to grow up in Ireland, you know, yeah. and you you watch the the World Cup in in America when Ray Houghton sticks the ball in back of the net, so. For us to dream, to let alone go and represent your own country and play, I played sixty-three times, scored twelve goals. It's uh, it's the best feeling in the world. Stick on the green short, so it's yeah, it's, it's unbelievable feeling. And, and I, when I was reading up about you during the week, um, I, I, it only came to light to me, and I never knew this. And uh, it was was the fact that you went into that tournament with an injury. Yeah, but because it was the World Cup, you were just you weren't missing the World Cup for anything, whether it was. Yeah, of course. I think I think every footballer, you're never ever going to be 100 percent when you're playing. So you're carrying niggles and whatever. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But the problem I had was like assists kind of in between me, me two toes. Um, it was very very uncomfortable. Obviously, you're on painkillers to try and get through it. And um, which foot op- was it? Was it the one you kicked? It was with? the right foot. Okay, the yeah. standing foot. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was it was it was painful. So obviously, it's nipping away at the nerves and that. But yeah, it wasn't. I would like to have gone in there better kind of health but uh, you just have to deal with the situations and um, try and give a, the best account that you can do and did you like everyone everyone always remembers the penalty miss Ian, yeah. and do, like so that had n- nothing to do with the foot injury nah it's, it's got nothing at all yeah. of course you got the weight of the shoulder you know of the country on your shoulders um, took many a penalties in my career pretty much scored them all I scored one against Iran to, to obviously qualify oh yeah yeah and um Probably they say as when you take penalties, never change your mind. So obviously we trained on the pitch the night before the game, and practice whipping them into the the bottom corner. As Casillas was Casillas in goal, and, goal. Yeah. and obviously I ran up and I thought he knows and gone that side, <laughs> and I changed my bloody mind. So, but he saved it, yeah. and luckily enough we got another penalty, and, and Robbie took it and stuck it away. Yeah. And that was, I mean, do you remember? Do you remember? That, do you remember that game itself? Yeah, Damien, Jesus, just, yeah, just, just the whole. Damien was battering me. <laughs> was he? Yeah. Del Harty, come on! It was. It was. Oh, I mean, when you look back at that World Cup, particularly 2002, like we were beaten by Spain on penalties. Who went on to play South Korea in the quarterfinals? South Korea qualified for the semi-finals. You're thinking, like it's always a what might have been yeah. if 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 we'd gotten through on the penalties. That's Not only that, I think if. Obviously, if we had have had Roy Keane, yeah, the leader, the, you know, the legend that is, if we had have had him in that tournament, who knows where we would have gone? I mean, you're talking about a potential World Cup semi-final and maybe even a final, like you know. Yeah, yeah. you never know, Damien. Don't let's let's dream big here, like you know what I mean. And, and a, a man of the stature, Roy Keane, in that squad, and yeah. even without Roy, we were so good. We played really good football in that tournament, and that's yeah, because it, it creates an opportunity for someone else to step in and, and step up to the mark, and that, and yeah, I think everyone. Within the group, got on well, and um, I say just unfortunate that we couldn't have had someone like Roy, the captain, um, to help us younger lads guide us and help you know advise us what to do. When we talked to Niall Quinn um, one night there about um, that game in Iran and the atmosphere and like yeah. the crowds and getting to and from the stadium, like oh, you know, wow, yeah, yeah. You, you read about stuff, but Niall was filling me in. It like oh, it was scary. Yeah. It was yeah. It so was yeah, you're going through the streets of Tehran. With all the, the, the Iranians reporters out yeah. in the streets trying to create like this atmosphere. He said like there was a hundred thousand fans outside. Oh, hundred plus. Yeah, like, it, was like, it, was it was full at like midday for the game and wow. it was just like one oh, of sure those. There was a hundred thousand in the stadium, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was men. 
And there was only a few scatters of women, but I think they were like the journalists that travelled yeah. from Ireland. Yeah. But they had to wear the, the, the hijab, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah Glad yeah. you know the name. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean... I, I, because it was intimidating, the, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it was. But it's one of those legendary things, because, you know, you see stuff like maybe South America for a, a derby, Boca Juniors against yeah. River or whatever, you know, and people talk about white-hot atmospheres, but like the way now you describe that, that seemed like terrifying and awesome at the same time you know I remember when they were leaving it wasn't to awesome to get away from the stadium it wasn't awesome like, to <laughs> uh, yeah but I mean like you know it's a football match so like you know in reality you know you were going to be relatively safe <laughs> yeah, for me the, the scariest trip I've ever had Go was um, Leeds played against Galatasaray oh right. yeah of course as we travelled we obviously landed over in Istanbul we got off the bus I mean there is thousands and thousands of fans Banners, flares, welcome, welcome to hell. hell at the airport. Mm-hmm. You're like, what is going on here? Yeah. You're getting phone calls the night before the game in your hotel. They want to kill you. And this, the, honestly, yeah, it was honestly. And then we're watching the telly that night. And then you, unfortunately, two Leeds fans yeah, lost, yeah. The, lost yeah. the, the game. Obviously, if ha- that happened today, it would it would have been abandoned. But we got on the bus. We had armed police running alongside the bus going to the stadium. We got there about two hours before the game. The stadium was full flares and everything. You're thinking it's like the most terrified I've ever been. I want like even when you walked out onto the pitch as well. For the it was pa- it was packed and the chuck and everything. And the, the throne stuff as well. Obviously, you had the police with the, the kind of bar- you know the, the I remember bar- that. I remember the seeing it. Yeah, like, the shields like up. One yeah, of those, you know what I mean. One of those surreal experiences. You know, yeah. you're going to tell us something about Daily Moon Park. Aren't you? <laughs> 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 That's my shtick. Daily, you're going to throw it out there. You figured me out already. So that that was for me. That was the scare. I mean, scariest, scariest. Thing that ever happened, Damien. Yourself, what's the most intimidating atmosphere you've played in? Um, geez, oh, are like, you, are, would you be the type to get intimidated? Or was is it something no, that spurred you like, on? A lot, of, a lot of derby games, um, you know, some great atmospheres, you know, big games, but nothing to the scale of what Hartley's saying there because, yeah. you know, obviously in European football, is and I think around that time that was when hooliganism was probably still just petering out. Yeah, I think there was a turn around that after the Leeds fan died, where all of a sudden now it was like, okay. Atmospheres, I know they set off flares outside hotels and stuff like that, but that type of stuff I think has been eradicated. Yeah, or, not not completely, but like obviously those levels of yeah. you know those types. Of what happened that that particular you know, night? Yeah, it, 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 that stuff doesn't happen anymore. UEFA have obviously got strict protocols now about teams traveling and security and whatnot. Like because well, you, you, you hear it even recently though was it was a Real Madrid playing Liverpool or Anfield every recent the night before uh, the the fire yeah. alarm going off on the hotel. Yeah, they just that, that, that stuff. But yeah. I mean that's. I mean, yeah, but I think it happened, jinks, like, happened it did, last like, year, wasn't yeah. it? Everton played Chelsea, yeah, wasn't it? And the literally fireworks were outside yeah. the windows, and all they see the Chelsea staff. Yeah. Going, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're Everton won the game. That's hijinks as opposed to like death threats. Yeah, you know right, what I mean. Right, so right, like, right. so yeah. I think in, in, oh, the, yeah, in yeah. the UK that stuff has kind of been eradicated. But like, obviously, derby games are, are great. Like, you know what I mean? I, I, a funny story when, like, I played at Hull for six years, right? And like, Hartley won't know this, like, but. Hull's biggest game is Leeds. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But Leeds obviously didn't know anything about Hull, you know what I mean? Because Leeds were off in the Champions League and stuff, <laughs> while Hull were in League Two. But yeah. there was always a, a Yorkshire feeling. And yeah. when I signed for Hull, it was always that, like, fucking Leeds, you know what I mean? And then eventually, <laughs> in, I'd say, 2006, we met on equal terms in the Championship. Right. So we'd obviously got back-to-back promotions in the Championships, and Leeds had tougher relegation. And that was, like, the biggest game for Hull, I think, in a long, long time. Ellen Road... Um, it was fever pitch. It was brilliant, and we played them then at at the KC Stadium in Holland. We won one nil, 
and that was like a, a thing but it was, it was full house and I just remember all week the atmosphere in Hull was, was brilliant I think Leeds fans were showing up saying sorry Hull what now we're, oh this is a game for you because they didn't know you yeah. know what I mean because they were busy doing things but um, it was a, quite a big game and an important game and I remember I was only a young kid at the time in the first team and like I remember thinking to myself that was the first time I ever felt like Jesus this is an actual proper derby game where it mattered to the fans you yeah know, yeah, really yeah. Mattered to Leeds, the fans. Leeds biggest game when, when the fixtures come yeah, out United. you'd always look at Manchester United but then you look at the teams like whether it was Bradford yeah. Sheffield United Sheffield Huddersfield yeah. Hull all the Yorkshire teams all the Yorkshire yeah. local yeah. what yeah. wasn't it was Man United yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that battle of the roses yeah, thing. So. <laughs> um, Ian getting back to you, back to you again you earned your last cap in 2007 right but in 2011 and 2012 you uh, both seasons you were named in the championship uh, team of the season um, I, mean, I mean did you ever get close to being called back up to the Irish international team well I remember I was playing at Reading at the time and obviously Shane Long who was coming across and I spoke to Long and I says like Honestly, I was flying, I was scoring goals, probably yeah. playing amazing football at, at, at Reading. And I said to Longy, and he says, I says, have a word with Trapattoni. And Trapattoni's reply was, I never knew he was Irish. What? <laughs> Deadly serious. <laughs> Trapp- swear, swear down. <laughs> so that- Longy came back and says, I, t- I mentioned to the manager, he says, I, don't, I didn't even really realise Ian Hart was Irish. Wow, that's that's incredible. I'm yeah. delighted to hear that managers coming in with all that research and information given to them about the players that are out there. Yeah, and like, and even on, even so, did he mention then? No, he is Irish. You did. Yeah, and I never got the call. So what a waste! What a waste! I know. Uh, Damon, um, you too played under trap. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of a, a, an insight as, as to what the man was like? You hear all these stories, you know about. Um, he, he'd fly in for one day yeah. a week if, if we were in training camp he wouldn't get we wouldn't be really hands on the training pitch his English wasn't his English, 100%. Was, his English wasn't good Liam Brady used to do and uh, her deli that? I know what was the woman's name his translator she oh, yeah. did a thing in her own Um her name now small little yeah. like straight brown hair anyway it'll come to me later but on the, on the training pitch Liam Brady used to do all the translating you know but Trap was hands on and he was he, was oh, he absolutely yeah and he had a fitness coach who did all the warm ups but it was just shape it was just four four two shape and he just was you know reiterating things sometimes you could hear him like if something went wrong you could hear him screaming in Italian and then Liam wouldn't translate you're like <laughs> I'm gonna gamble that that wasn't a good thing, Liam. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but he was, he was, he was, he was very good at like that. And no, he was in for the whole week, absolutely. And him and Marco and uh, and Liam were like, uh, and then the fitness coach were a tight trio or right. tight, you know, knit group. Them, them four, three, four lads together. So, no, he was in. He took training. He was part of it. You know, Liam was always talking over him, repeating it in English, um, and he. Very, very simplified in what he did. Um, and he's very, very effective getting us to a major tournaments and competing against some some big, big teams. And he took the great traits that we saw last night in Ireland, fighting spirit, togetherness, bodies on the line things, stuff that we're known for. And Trap harnessed that and just, you know, ran with it. Now, obviously, he'll always be judged for that. Uh, your 2012 yeah. uh, group. Where, well, you know, was a as group. a group of that. Like, yeah. he got absolutely <laughs> destroyed after. But I suppose the way he approached games, um, you know, national teams and major tournaments are a different animal you know like when you get the likes of France in a qualifying group in Dublin like we did last night versus getting them in an actual World Cup you know they're a different animal and unfortunately we got drawn in a group that was just it's impossible yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, Spain at their pump as well yeah, like, you yeah. know. didn't Ledge, what, Ledge score in the first game didn't he did we go 1-0 yeah no we went 1-0 against one up, Cro- yeah. Croatia yeah it started so great yeah. Ledge scored oh no, no sorry they went 1-0 up and we equalised we equalised okay, so. like we were on the front foot yeah absolutely and then we got put back in our box yeah. 3-1 I think it was yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. 
Um, Ian, well, I want to go back to you. Does uh, again do me research on you because uh, yeah. that's what I do. <laughs> but you were linked with Barcelona and Inter Milan uh, 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 during your time as a professional footballer. Like, were any of those links actually genuine? Did you hear that? Were you excited? I've or? honestly no idea. Really? Uh, yeah. So whether there was or there wasn't, obviously I was happy at, at Leeds. Uh, there was a lot of interest from from teams in England as well. But I think the team it was quite a young team. Harry Kuehl, Alan Smith, you had James Milner coming through, you had Aaron Lennon, yeah, and then you had like a bit of experience, a little bit of core, you had Lucas Radaby. It was a great he team. He was a player. Yeah, un- unbelievable court. team that we had then. So was... being part of that, when you're in a successful team winning games, you you're obviously going to come to the you're, attention. You're never interested in really right. leaving that environment. So, um, so how does that work, lads? Both of you have played uh, at the highest level, and you know, as football fans, we see these rumours in the papers. Um, do players read these rumours? Do they get do, like do they do they look at a rumour and go, "That's bullshit. That's not. That's not true. That's just a newspaper headline." Yeah, or is there actual? You know, is there actual substance behind the rumours? And and how does how does it all work? Do you get a phone call from your agent going, "I've had a phone call from Barcelona. I've had a phone call from Manchester United." How does that all work? Personally, I think it's a lot of fish and chip paper. Okay, they right. have to sell papers, so they put they need, put a they need to put headlines out yeah. there and stories in the. Sometimes there will be the odd thing that is true. Majority of the time, it's as, as I've said, fish and chip paper. That's, right. Yeah, that's interesting. And even if it is true, right, just even on, on, on the whole transfer process, I think a lot of football fans are fascinated by when a negotiation happens, when a player is approached, how soon do you get involved in negotiations? What do you say to your agent, what you're looking for? You know, clauses in contracts, all of that kind of stuff. Well, your agent will tell you what's on the table. Do you know what I mean? Your agent will phone you and say, look, so-and-so want to sign you. Um, you know, I think there's a deal to be had. I've spoke to your club. They're open to selling you. So there's something to be had. And I think we can get X, Y, and Z out of this new club in your wages. Um, and then the agent will just say to you, just sit tight. I'll deal with it. And I'll get back to you when there's news. And then it all happens very, very quickly, doesn't it? Like, obviously, yeah. you get a phone call. You're like, can you get to Gatwick? Or can you get to some airstrip? You're going, you know, right. we're going. And that's it then. And is, is initial contact is initial contact usually made with the agent? Or have players been rang directly? From the, the, oh. the, the, the club normally phone up the agent, right? And so that's the, way, the right way. Do not know. It. It's not the right way. Oh, <laughs> it's not. No. Okay. That's, you're not allowed. That's kind of tapping up. That's in the. That's class. Yeah. It's technically what's legally what's what's happening. What they're the meant to do is to, go club, club to club. club. Right. Well, that never happens. It never happens. That's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, surely there's a lot of tapping up. To oh, it's right in murky walls. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. There's a lot that's of gray the, the right way of doing it is obviously to keep everything above board and clean. It should be club to club. Right, but there are back channels and there are obviously things happening. Then you get like into a, a scenario where all of a sudden there's an agent who's not representing anyone, and all of a sudden he just decides, jumps on the bandwagon. He just decides, um, you know, to a player, I think Barcelona want you, and the player, oh, really? oh yeah, I want to go. But then he goes to Barcelona, he goes, well, he wants to come to you. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, magic is made. <laughs> um, so, so, Ian, you had a, a, a brilliant reputation as a dead ball specialist, uh, free kicks, like where you're 40, you're like some of the, some of the best goals Ireland and Leeds have ever scored were, were from, from, your, from your magical left field. But can you, is there, is there a particular goal you have, which is your favourite uh, as, a, as a professional footballer? Yeah, uh, it was a packed Ellen Road against Deportivo La Coruña oh, wow. in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. I put the ball on the edge of the box and I, I couldn't hit the ball any sweeter, um, and a win by the goalkeeper Molina, who I eventually end up playing with in Levante. No way. So, um, yeah. did he speak to you when he came? Of course, yeah. <laughs> but now it was uh, now for me it was like you know the them European nights. It's the highest level, Lord, isn't it? it well, awesome, I think for any footballer when you're playing, you know, you want to know the day you retire. Obviously, 
what have you ticked off playing Premier League football, mm. playing for your country? Mm. If you can play in the World Cup, European Cup, Champions League, I've done it all. You know, I, got, I got Champions League football with Cox City as well, so you did, I didn't tick, you? I take that box off as well. Listen, absolutely. How do you Premier League, yeah. Play your country, take Champions League football, take. I went, I've done it all. Love it. So the, only, the only thing you, you you missed out in your career was League of Ireland football. In yeah, <laughs> the only blood on your yeah, I haven't got that. You've got that thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, is there is there like when you're watching the the modern game today? In is there anyone out there, uh, say in the Premier League, who you who you highly regard as a as a dead ball specialist? And you know, is there someone you go, oh yeah, yeah, well. One person that jumps out, James Watt Prowse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or a technician. Well, pe- people always used to say, obviously, back when I played, it was Beckham or me. Yeah. Obviously, then people say Ronaldo and people mention Roberto Carlos, but Roberto Carlos was known for that one goal, really, yeah, against yeah. France. In where it went outside and the guy behind the goals kind of ducks. Yeah. But I think if you look on stats, the amount of free kicks that probably Ronaldo or Beckham took over mine, mine is higher than them. But... I'm not a David Beckham or Cristiano Ronaldo or English <laughs> or Portuguese, an Irish lad. So it, if you're Brazilian, they're putting your name in there in the mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was um, normally, you know, it's, it's just trying to visualise. So I used to visualise night before, forget a free kick in the edge of the box. The best way of describing it is the white lines on a, on a motorway. I used to visualise and think, right, okay, I'm going to try and bend the ball over, get it up and top spin and down. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's the way. To get I the dip and all that. Get it up, yeah, yeah. up and down, yeah. Um, Damien, um, like obviously as a defender, I was going to say obviously as a defender you didn't score that many goals. Stuff had a score, shed a load of goals. But you were involved in one of the most iconic Premier League matches of all time. Oh, uh, yeah. The one is given the, uh, a brilliant name of Criston Bull. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. the the famous Crystal Palace yeah. Liverpool game. Liverpool going for the title three 0 up. Yeah. Uh, I think you'd scored an own goal, yeah. but then you scored yeah. for Palace. Yeah. and came back to 3 all. Now, you had nothing to play for. Would I be right in saying you yeah. had nothing to play oh, for at that time? We were finished. We literally had nothing to play for because the team in front of us was six points clear yeah. and we were like six points clear of the team behind us. Right. So we could, it's not like we were playing to get up a place for yeah. the, you know, the bowling in the season yeah. bonus week and nick a place and go and let extra money in the kitty. Like, you know, so we literally had nothing to play for, but that didn't matter because we were just that type of team and we didn't play well. I mean, it was the first time... Um, like we were losing heavily like that, yeah. Ever like I mean, we were like on oh, Jesus three and a long half time, and in the second half just petering out. But then I remember Liverpool were interested in goal difference. That's right. right. And if they got seven against us, they would have went ahead of City going into the last game. So they were looking for seven, and why not? Because we were like awful. Like we were holidays planned. There was only like two games left. You know, <laughs> after tonight we're playing Sunday, and we were done. Like yeah. we'd all the holidays booked. But then, like, there was just something weird atmosphere in that stadium and that night, Crystal Palace, that, that Sellers Park. It was just like Liverpool fans were just screaming, We want seven, we want seven, you know? And we that were kind of going, up oh, a little... Jesus, please. No, we're just going, Oh, don't get seven, right, please, okay. on Monday night football. Like, you know, don't want that. And um, we were going nowhere. And then I had that, I was going up for a long free kick to be clipped in. But the fella taking it gave it to me in the number 10 position. <laughs> Right, so Mele just fired it into me, and I was like, I don't want it here in, in traffic, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I just kind of turned and I went, If I lose this now, we're getting countered genuinely. And I just went, You know what, just let fly, and you know, if, See it, what happens. if, if it goes into Rose Ed, get back quickly, like, you know, so I just let fly, and it flew in the top bin. But then it was like a light switch in the, in the stadium, something, something just changed. happened where the like, mood changed. it was just like the 
it's hard to describe, but like the levels went up and you just felt, oh my God. And then the team, we just got going. Dwight Gale. And, and Gale scored too, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then we... we and did up... you notice a visible shaking in the Liverpool team, the nervousness creeping in? And... Yeah, but I think then Rodgers, like, didn't, even when I went to 3-2... He never made defensive subs. He had so defensive subs on the bench, and he never went. You know what? Let's just get the win now. Seven's gone. Was that at Palace? At Palace, yeah. Sellers. Yeah. See, it's a, it's a difficult ground to go to. It's one of the most atmospheric grounds. On, on that year, you see, like I mean, yeah. you know, two or three years previous, Palace were in administration, so the fans were like on the floor, and all of a sudden they're playing in a game. You know, that magnitude at the end of the season was one magnitude for us, for them. So like the stadium was just like delirious, and something like I said, just weird. Few times it happened where you could just feel the atmosphere in a cha- stadium change. And um, then the three three and Suarez's tears and all that carry on. So, you know that was that was uh, a, a nice game to be involved in. Yeah. It's an absolutely brilliant game. And, and as a former Manchester United fan, thank you very much, yeah. Damien. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, so you're Man United. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Damien. I'm sorry. This will never work as you. It's the last podcast, Damien's doing. <laughs> no, no, I'm just getting a picture. <laughs> <laughs> he has me sussed already. Um, so listen, lads, we we we've, we've come to the end of our time here, and. Um, uh, uh, Ian, thank you so much for being uh, our very first guest on what we hope will be many, many podcasts. It's great to hear an insight from uh, from, from you, being a, a fantastic servant to Ireland, to Leeds United and having an amazing professional career. So thanks very much for joining thanks us. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. And Damien, thanks very much for not um, being too hard on me and my lack of football knowledge. Not and, uh, at all, man. Jesus. <laughs> no, you got like, you know, just, like I said, just building the picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're building the picture. Uh, and, and I hope to see you next week. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, lads, we're going to have to wrap it up there. Time has been our enemy, but this has been the first episode of the House of Football brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill. It's been an absolute pleasure having our guest Ian Hart on, my co host Damien Delaney, and we'll be back next week with more football talk. Thank you. You've been listening to House of Football brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill. 